<laughs> Maybe with a little too basso profundo there. Um, but that's it. Hooray! <laughs> I am 100% using that as the opening. Damn! <laughs> you are a cruel editor, Graham McMillan. Uh, Hilarious, yeah. but cruel. I'm sorry. Shit. I'm not sorry. I'm kind of sorry. It's complicated. <laughs> It is complicated. You're a complicated man, Graham. To episode 43 of the, I was going to say seemingly never ending Drock, the series where you and I, I'm sorry, you being my co host, Jeff Lester, hello, and I being Greg McMillan, hi, read through Judge Dredd the Complete Case Files, collecting the eponymous Judge Dredd trip from 2008 in Judge Dredd magazine. Uh, I say like never ending, but like we're literally, Jeff, we are doing a volume this time that came out this year. Oof. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, so we're, I mean, the next time we do a case files, we will have caught up with the publishing schedule, which is insane. I kind of have goosebumps. I kind of have goosebumps. Yeah. To think about. We are doing, as I said, Judge Dredd, the complete case files. This time we're doing volume 39. As I said, volume 39 was published this year. It was published at the start of this year. Uh, it reprints material from uh, 2004, which is published in 2008, Prox 1388 to. 1407 and magazine issues 214 to 223 it's written by a bunch of people for a change the last yes. time we really enjoyed that it's mostly john wagner this time oh boy alan grant gordon rennie ian edgington john wagner alan barnes cy spurrier and pat mills are the writers we left pat mills to the end because we're going by quality that's only joking john wagner will be at the start for the quality um <laughs> there's a Artists as well. David Roach is in here. Simon Colby's in here. Dave Taylor, Henry Flint, Simon Davis, Cam Kennedy, mm-hmm. Colin McNeil's in here for an extended run. Uh, Ian Gibson is in here for some genuinely not very good work. It's a fucking mess of a volume. I think that's fair to say. There is some truly bad material here, which is why we're coming from Stephen Oldstyle block. But nice, Jeff. It's it's. I'm not alone in saying this is a like after. Volume 38, which both of us loved. Mm-hmm. Volume 39 is a rough volume to read through, right? Yeah. Although, yes, yes. Uh, interestingly enough, I texted Graham uh, in the middle of my reading and had just started the Pat Mills story, which is <laughs> approximately halfway through the volume, more or less. It's yeah. it's literally the start of the magazine material. and And I was like... I just don't know if I can make it through. I just have no, I am so burnt. That first half was so rough. And Graham was like, oh yeah, just wait. And and so I think he, I took that as the rest of the material from the magazine was going to be as bad, if not worse. Which and, is not true, but the pop mail stuff is much worse, I think. Okay, but see, here's the thing, Graham. And this is probably where it makes the difference for me. The very first page of that Pat Mills story, I was, or maybe the first two pages, I was like, 
oh, this is going to suck. This is going to be so bad. And then I went on reading it. I'm like, oh, I kind of like it. (laughs) You're wrong. I know. Objectively wrong. Well, I didn't say it was good. I said I liked it. So I think that is a a a get-out-of-jail-free class. That that is fair, yeah, Yeah. because it is – there's some, I mean, there's some bad comics in here. Last time, like I said, when we did volume 38, you and I were marveling about like what Wagner's been able to do with the character and the subtlety he's introduced. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then, you know, you look at like Pat Mills and Alan Grant in particular, and they are both firmly on the Garth Marenghi school of. <laughs> I know the subtext and they're cowards. Like, <laughs> please make they, sure you throw that screenshot in the um, in, in, the, show in the show notes. Just because I'm on the one hand, I'm sure everyone who's listened to this has seen that screenshot, but I am I am so tempted to get that tattooed on my back for my birthday, Graham. I love <laughs> that particular image. And and meme so much. I mean, uh, I, this is when I interrupt our regular drogness to let you know, in case you don't already know. You know, Garth Marenghi has a novel coming out soon, right? Yes, I do, and <laughs> I'm excited. Everything about it sounds so Garth Marenghi-ish. I could scream. I'm very for excited. people who don't know what we're talking about. Garth Marenghi's Dark Place is a. Uh, it's not. I mean, I guess it's a sitcom. It's, it's it's sort of parody of, you know, a lot of British fantasy writers from the 1980s and 90s that was on TV in, I guess, 20 years or so ago? Maybe less. Maybe 15 years ago? It is brilliant. You guys should go. I'm Again, I feel like I'm preaching to the converted because I feel like I was the absolute last person to see it. After seeing the memes on the internet forever, I am hoping it's still. If for those of you who have, say, Amazon Prime, they put it on it, there. It is not on Amazon Prime anymore. It's on Peacock now. Oh shit! On a stick. Well, I, Peacock is probably actually easier and less heinous in a way to watch. Um, I wonder. I was actually thinking after hearing the announcement that I was like, I got to rewatch that. And and Graham, I think I only saw it within the last year. It is. It's it's hilarious, screamingly it funny. It is so good. It is so uh, good. On the line, I know writers who use subtext and they're all cowards. Really does just sum up the joke of the whole entire thing. Oh my god. Oh my um, god. A- anyway, yeah. we're like I'm completely getting away from from what I was meaning to say, which is like we we complimented Wagner and his subtlety, and then yeah. here we have Pat Mills and Alan Grant. Who, you know, to put it in some context, Alan Grant contributes a uh, Osborne's parody in this called, called the, the uh, Schnozborns. With the Schnozborns, yeah, where the joke is they all have big noses. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's it, you guys. That's it. Yeah. That's the entire joke. See, and so I think this is this is my thing, Graham. Also, is okay. So I guess for the larger context, you have in one way or the other the three parents of Judge Dredd. Like you've mm-hmm. got Pat Mills and John Wagner, who are mm-hmm. you know the my two dads. And then after acrimonious divorce, Wagner took up with Alan Grant, and they were together for a long time. And Grant has contributed. It is literally impossible to to um look of think of or conceive of the era of classic judge dread without without grant in the picture he is just mm-hmm. that 
absolutely essential to it. And then they Wagner and Grant split. Wagner goes on to just particularly Andred do better and better and better work. And so this volume really is like the My Three Dads, the Dads O Dread volume. And you see Wagner doing just fabulous work. And depending on how you want to see it, I can see Graham and I split the difference. Um, Alan Grant and Pat Mills being spectacularly shoddy. For me, I think that the Alan Grant work here in this volume is so bad. So it, absolutely it's shockingly bad. bad. Like yeah. I, I will give you that I think that Pat Mills looked at as through the entirety of their career. I think that I prefer Alan Grant's work to Pat mm-hmm. Mills, but mm-hmm. there's no denying that based on the material in this volume, that Alan Grant's material is so much weaker. Yeah. Like just shockingly yeah. horribly yeah. stunningly weaker yeah um and and it's a point where it's kind of embarrassing yeah oh to have, it's genuinely to have embarrassing to, yeah to have nets to wagner but also mills and again mills's story is just shit well okay so, like it's it's it is really unsubtle but at least it's coherent and at I... least you know there there is a beginning middle and end well and for a lot of grants yeah. There isn't. There's a joke that is just extended for five pages. Right. And, and the joke I, is, yeah. is putting it strongly. Exactly. The thing that I think is really problematic with Grant's material, at least, does he only do two stories? I guess so. I guess with both. Uh, both he, of uh, the, he does three. No, he, no. Grant does four. a bunch. He You're does right. Love Hurts. He does At right. Home with the Schnozburns. He does right. Bob Zombie, Scouse of 20,000 Horrors. Right. He does Bewitched. Yeah, uh, and he does at least one in the magazine as well, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, he does. He does oh, right. How to succeed like in business caught. without getting caught? Yeah. Okay. Like Alan Grant is all over this volume. He is, but and honestly, and I can see if other people would disagree, but he starts off with something. Well, starts off the first two pieces in this volume are, I think, really close to career worst. I think the Bob Zombie one is basically a big pile of crap. And I think, honestly, Bewitched and How to Succeed in Business are solid mess. It also helps, I think, that the art, for me, I actually like the David Roach art on Bewitched. I like that. I thought that I thought that How to Succeed in Business Without Getting Caught is a boring story, but at least it's sort of competently boring. The sure, thing sure. about Pat Mills that you, uh, one thing that help, that I think helps him out is the art by Duke Mighton, which just sounds like such a pseudonym, is I really liked it. I liked the art a lot. And, and then, how do I put it? There's something about, for me, Mills has a little bit of that. Um, you can see him trying to break out the thrill power. You know what I mean? Like it's his story is unbelievably stupid. Like and stupid at levels that um you know we we sort of talked about how, you know, re- by comparison if you look at Wagner, we talked about Wagner doing uh, a hammer horror film which I liked and you were kind of went from not liking to having a certain grudging affection for 
or farts, which was a story that absolutely should have, no no pun intended, or actually fully intended, st- stunk up the joint and was actually sort of a, a kind of charming um, 50s monster movie parody. There, yeah. Mills is trying to do, not unlike the Hammer film one, his version of a satanic cult movie pastiche with a dinosaur in it with good looking art. And so it's, it's, it's not nearly at the level of craft that Wagner has. I mean, I think that is the thing is, is Mills is Mills has done a pretty remarkable job by this point in the career. And by this point, I mean, this particular volume of, of the case files and he still continues to work. Um, it is amazing that uh, that a writer so um, allergic to um, subtlety and nuance when he when he quote unquote started when when 2000 AD broke through has basically spent 40 plus years hammering any remaining nuance out, and so there is a way in which Blood of Satanus two colon Dark Matters is i mean just the title it's it's all he is so garth Marenghi. he is at the one time pretentious and pompous and thinking that he's saying something and absolutely absurd but there is also part of him that that i still feel mills more often than not falls on the um on the entertaining side like you know like god help me this is not this for anyone else this would not be a compliment but like blood of satanus 2 dark matters is a perfectly serviceable mark miller story you know what i mean like it's <laughs> wow <laughs> the worst part is i understand what you're saying the worst part is I, i'm like sure I get it. so and it's okay I, that, that not, you don't feel sure that how, way I, but yeah, yeah i'm not sure how far i agree but i definitely understand what you're saying yeah I, I think that that's actually a good way of explaining the appeal of Mills at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I just I think the Blood of Satanus is it Blood of Satanus two or three? I I think it said on the content title page, uh, the contents page, it says two Blood of Satanus two Dark. I, I just think it's a bad story. I I think it's it sounds terrible. I think it's dull despite its incomplete ineptitude at any attempt at subtlety. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And like it's a giant fucking dinosaur and they're like they're worshipping a dinosaur god who is disguised as a man and doesn't even realise it and all that shit. And yet somehow it's dull. Somehow there's no level of and again, this is purely me speaking, my experience. There's right. no level of pleasure in it. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's got all of these ingredients which should be fun mm-hmm. like there's a dinosaur worshiping cult in there you right. know and that shoot like i should enjoy that just on level of like the ridiculousness right and instead i feel like all of that is sucked out of it by the ham-fisted way in which mills approaches all of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know uh but uh, but again at least there's a coherent beginning middle and end to it as opposed to Grant's material. I feel that both Grant and Mills work with just a shocking lack of subtlety. Right. You know, like genuinely like, and, and not, 
I was going to say not through being inept, and I'm not sure that in Grant's case it might be. Mm. But I think Mills like knows what he's doing. I think Mills 100% knows what he's doing and is 100% like, no, this is what I think a Judge Dread comic should be. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I think he's well aware of it, but it just doesn't appeal to me on on almost any level. Like I, I do think Duke Biden's art is is pleasing enough. Mm-hmm. You know, but but beyond that, I like I I struggle through those like thirty odd pages. Well, you know, I really. I think this may end up being kind of a, a fascinating volume to talk about in that regard because I actually thought that two of Wagner's stories were semi similar in that sense. Like, um we'll we'll talk about it in more detail when we get to it, but Big Deal at Drek City, which is a John Wagner script and Cam Kennedy art which you know seems to me all but guaranteed to be a winner. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it's 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 a drag. It's a drag. Like it finally in the last you know twenty the last, like, percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah the last in the last like it last like quarter. Or so yeah, something happens. Something finally gets interesting. But, but, but again, big deal in Drake City is is like thirty odd pages. Uh, and should, like you said, should work. It's Wagner, it's Kennedy. It's a hot dog run story. Exactly. Which you and I right. How we love the hot dog run as yep. a concept. Yep. Like, you take these untested rookies out mm-hmm. and shit happens and they are forced to sink or swim. Like, right. that's a that's a, uh, a an idea for a narrative. That, that's a construct that, like, you and I are both like, yeah, it's great. We love it. Yes. Um, and it just... And it doesn't. almost doesn't work. Like, yeah, it which is stunning to me. Stunning to me. Similarly, when we go on to talk about uh, Damned Ranger, which is, again, a 40-page yes. story. John Wagner, John Ridgway art um, doing I, I something gotta say, that's I think, insane. I think, I think the art is actually terrible for that story. Uh, the, st- the art is really kind of I th- like... I, I, th- I think the art, like... I, I think the story has flaws, but I think the art fucking kills it. Well, I, how do I put it? I I am weirdly way more fond of shit Photoshop uh, dread. Like, I think that is a... That's a sub... Thanks to... Almost single-handedly to Carlos Escara, that's like a subgenre of dread and i seem to always appreciate it i don't know why the art on ridgeway stuff most of it is really bad it makes carlos escara's paint shop photoshop experiments yeah. look genius by comparison and but... again like i love ridgeway's black and white art yeah i think ridgeway has a really nice line mm-hmm. uh but like escara when escara started using digital yeah. like it, it's you feel Carl. Uh, you feel Richway is like okay. I've got Photoshop. I've got like a three D modeling program, right? And I, I can make this work because I can take shortcuts. Yeah, and it's like yeah, but your shortcuts are really obvious, dude. Oh, they're so <laughs> obvious it, and kind of is, gloriously so. I think. Yeah, it, it's like watching Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. Do you know what I mean? Right. It, it's exactly. Just, yeah, it, it takes you utterly out the story. But again, you're right. Like Damned Ranger, even if I had the best art in the world, still doesn't work as a what, story well right or hmm, yes exactly i think i i want to say i at a certain point i became convinced that it is wagner trying to do something ambitious and failing and 
if it had had the best art in the world, that would be more apparent. But because you get the art that you do, like again, it. But again, I, un, un, unlike um, Big Deal at Drex City, I'm half convinced that the really weird, like detachment that you get in Damned Ranger is. Um, supposed to be deliberate. I don't think I don't think Wagner pulls it off, and I'll be curious to see if he ever returns to it, and we can talk to it. But I will say that one thing that became apparent for me at Judge Dread: The Complete Case Files thirty nine were the number of stories where, and there's a high number of stories where people just like miss the mark, and it's I think we're used to seeing Alan Grant miss the mark. I think it's not surprising that you excuse me, um, can say that Pat Mills missed the mark because Cat, Pat Mills will angrily insist that he hit exactly the mark that he was um, aiming for. And it's your fault if you expected it to be the dartboard at the end of the pub <laughs> and, 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 and not the barkeep, you know. But there's also shit that, you know, unsurprisingly, a or what must have been a practically post-uterus Cy Spurrier turns out a dread story that is okay. Okay, can we talk about that? We should. The we Cy should Spurrier talk about it. story is is crazy in a way that like the other stories haven't been. And mm -hmm. it's called Placebo Once More with Feeling, and it stars the band Placebo. Right? Is that a real fucking band? It's not. Yes, it felt like it. I was like, who are these? Both placebo once more with feeling and it's your funeral creep. I was like, are they courting real bands with this? Yes. That's what it felt yes. like. Okay, but Jeff, here's the here's the even wackier thing. Placebo was a band, because this was published in two thousand four, right? right? Placebo was a band that was popular a decade before that. Oh okay. I'm gonna have to look up placebo now to see when placebo broke through. Yeah, placebo uh formed in nineteen ninety four. And the 1996 released their debut album, which was the, the popular one. Oh, now that I'm looking at it, though, guess what their album in 2004, a singles collection in 2004 was called? Once More With Feeling. Yeah. Dude, this was fucking... It reads like product placement. It yes! Reads, it, it, it is, it it, is somewhere the between thing, right? the Yuri Geller issue of Daredevil and a Hostess Cupcake ad... With Judge Dredd and the Dark Judges. And the whole time, again, I'm like... Spurrier. Yes! i like, how old was Cy Spurrier? He must have been 11! I honestly thought it was Cy Spurrier's own band, and he put one over on the editors. Oh, no, no. Spurrier was born in 81. Oh, so my he would, God! He would have been, like, 23. Oh, that's still no excuse. There's some things that even <laughs> youth can't excuse, and placebo once more with feeling. And then, weirdly, we get the exact same variant on the It's Your Funeral Creep, which is written by one of the magazine editors or associate editors yes. at the time, and also feels like um, paid placement or some desperate attempt to get the... like. Like someone heard that the the host of of MTV's 120 Minutes UK edition was like a fan, and so they were trying to court him aggressively or something. But it's so bad. Like those stories, there's so many. St I don't know if they're on just a page by page basis. If there's as many stories that genuinely miss the mark as far as 
kind of what a good dread story is. And I mean, honestly, Gordon Rennie, who pops up here a lot and who we have praised Something before. Praised yeah. Yeah. He actually craps the bed at least once, if not twice. And I'm trying to remember which is which, because he, he did end up doing one that I kind of liked, even though I thought that it was relatively, um, and, and also given new light, I feel like I'm just, I'm sorry, Graham. I feel like all I'm doing is like being the previews guy where I'm just like, wait till we talk about this. And I'm no, no, and but, not but, talking but about part it. of the problem is, okay. So, this, so there is the two music ones. There's the, the right. placebo one and once more revealing both of which are uh, the placebo one in particular, like mm-hmm. stars, the band and is named after the band's greatest hits album, mm. which came out that year, you know, and is it like you said? It really does feel like a hostess cupcake ad. Mm-hmm. It's it's so strange. It's so utterly weird. But the, you're right. The, the the once more not the once more feeling the the uh, uh, it's, it's your, your funeral creep. It's your funeral creep. Yeah, it feels the same. Exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's just it, they're the weirdest things. But you're right. Like Blood of Satanus is is not good mm-hmm. for me at least. Like the Alan Grant stuff is bad but it's bad in a way that almost you understand right like we've seen grant become broader and broader yes as he's gone on in this yeah so again i'm with you i think david george's are on bewitching love hurts is actually great Mm -hmm. but it's also unsurprising that like love hurts is a a six-page story about a pop star who tries to get famous and so like dates a clegg and the clegg eats her Mm -hmm. like you know okay sure um at home with the schnozburns is by far the the broadest um and and honestly for me brings out a really bad side of ian gibson because ian gibson is like well i'm gonna go even broader with my art right so you have like you know a a relatively realistic dread and it's to you know a complete you know there's no realism or anything there with with the you know the size of the nose of the schnozburns but that's like broad and and sort of lazy but again in such a way that you're like sure this makes sense as something that alan grant who has been doing the last few stories would do you know you that that works Mm -hmm. um but again the placebo thing feels out of nowhere oh the church funeral creep seems out of nowhere and and in both cases disruptively so Mm -hmm. uh because they're not just like bad slash boring stories they have cameos from People who are given, so, like, I don't know who the band is and its funeral creep is, but they're given so much attention. Yeah. You're like, it's, it's, you're aware that it's someone. Right. Right. Like, it's, it's disruptive to the reading experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you look at something like, um, what's Ian Edgington's? Tempest Fugitive is mm-hmm. the Ian Edgington. And it's fine. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it doesn't do anything. Like the most interesting thing for me about that is the Disraeli art. The, well, yeah, the, the which is just fabulous. like a bad dread story. Yeah, yeah. but the story's just like a bad story. A no, it's story. A, well, it's a I, bad. It's a yeah, it's a bad dread story. But how do I? Put but it's it? a dread story. Exactly. It's very much a dread story. It's built around like here's dread, and I think the the kind of I, there's there there is. A gem of something clever that I don't think Edgington altogether pulls off, but the idea of like, what if H.G. Wells's time traveler comes to Mega City One? And part of the thing that's sort of funny is the way in which 
he sees Mega City 1, and before you realize it, he's more or less looking at kind of a different version of the of the future that the time traveler encounters, you know, but different. And there's a there's yeah, a yeah. relatively funny gag there, or there's two. There's an idea there, right? Yeah, there's an idea and there's a joke and dread is central to the idea and it's great. But there's you know, both but but, but some some of the the Randy stuff, I think really in a ways that he previously has understood what at least we are understanding as Dread and what Wagner's doing with Dread. Right. I think here he feels like he's closer to, um, maybe not closer to Grant to- totally, but like there is a lack of subtlety and there is a, a, um, I don't know, an obviousness and a, a, a sort of rush to the to the point or rush to the gag. Right. That feels. Weirdly keeping with this volume and weirdly yeah. not keeping with what he was doing with the character before, if that makes yes. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I, for me, I think the thing that, that, that you, you are, I think, I think you're, you've pretty much got your finger on it. I think that the, for me with, when Rennie is sort of had hit the period of like Wagner on a bad day that we've talked about, it had a certain degree of, um, he thought about the character. He's got a, he's got a, he's got a grasp on who dread is me. And maybe for us, I I don't really remember the stories as well, but maybe for us, that was shocking enough that it felt and, and aware at, you know, vol- you know, thirty plus volumes in of how genuinely hard a thing that is to do, at least at this point with things. But I think the thing with Rennie's stuff is in this volume is it's it's just it's really shockingly dull, and and I think there is something to it that to me has a certain. Um, problem is is that with Wagner I guess because of course the idea that Wagner understands dread um it, you more or less take that for granted but Wagner never just really for the most part rests on those laurels you know maybe a few times but generally more than often when he's got a story he's got a he's got a story to to tell and yeah whereas i feel like the there is so much that that um gordon rennie gordon rennie's stories here just feel like they may well have been big triumphs for him in a way but a lot of them really feel like really they they feel like stories that wagner or wagner and grant already told like literally a decade ago if not oh more. yeah 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 they're, you they're, know the, uh, this is not a love story yes feels, feels like very much like a story that we've read before absolutely uh, but as but, does last respects frankly the the first one yeah. where it's like yes. you know um and so and so there is a little bit of the he manages to you know be ranked somewhat higher than than you know Grant and and Mills um, in the sense of like oh yeah he he quote unquote gets the character enough to where we feel like you know you're getting t- leftovers reheated leftovers that are literally a decade old but 
you know, but that's really not as much of an achievement anymore as it should be, you know? Yes, and also... I think that one of the things that is clear with Rennie in this book is Rennie's genuinely only as strong as his artist. Yeah, that's a good because point. You look, at, you look at something like Prodigal, which is illustrated by Simon Davis, who in the past I've been like, Simon Davis does interesting stuff. Simon Davis is so much the wrong artist for Prodigal oh. that what has the potential for being, I mean, again, nowhere near a Wagner level character piece, but a character piece nonetheless. Right, it's Rico and Giant meeting for the first time. They're both right. sizing each other up. Right, um, and it's it's a relatively quiet story. Right, um, Davis fucking kills that in the bad way. Yeah, like oh. Davis is very much the wrong type of artist for that story, and just manages to suck the life out of it. Uh, mm-hmm. It it is it is distracting his 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 photo realness is is his photo likeness and oh, all, yeah. not only that his reliance on photographs for right for particular characters yeah uh it's distracting yeah. his he's not able to do the dynamism that the story needs but also he's completely unable in this story to do the character acting that both rico and giant needs because oh, both of them so. are very much insular characters mm-hmm. right like it you know it, it's cruel to say this but you think about what iscara could have done with this material oh god yeah and, right? totally and it would be an entirely different story even with exactly the same script yeah um and, and so you do see that rennie more than wagner and we've said this about wagner in the past but rennie more than wagner really relies on the strength of a good artist for example master moves mm, um mm-hmm. It's a pretty weak script. Again, it's doing a rehash of what we've read before, right? Yes. But but Disraeli's art is great. Disraeli's oh, yeah. art is super colorful, super lively. Yeah, it, no, it's exactly. Fun to watch. It, it's, it's literally it's a, a fun read. Yeah, exactly. Right? It brings out and the so, fun in the story. Yes, yes, so. exactly. He, mm-hmm. he, he Disraeli sells it. Disraeli has so much keeping the reader's attention and drawing the reader through the page and drawing the reader to specific parts of the story mm-hmm. that you're, you're there. Like you're like this, this is great. This, this is exactly like I am here. I'm enjoying it. And he sells it much more than the script does to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so you realize how reliant Rennie is on the goodwill generated by the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, in such a way that, I think it shows Rennie for, I was going to say, for for being weaker than we might have given him credit for. And I'm not sure that's entirely true. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we've both spoken before about how Wagner is also reliant on the, on the artist very often. It's just I think R- Wagner tends to get a better match with writers, with artists and or is able to write to the strength of artists more. Well, well, but. I- uh, you know, if I can cut in, because I think Prodigal is Prodigal and Master Moves is is actually, on the one hand, I think a very good example of of exactly what you're saying is Disraeli's art really does help um, bump up Rennie's story from what really would have been, um, you know, a bog standard Wagner Grant story, you know, sort of from their heyday. Which is is honestly 
a pretty high standard when you see all the other people that, again, have tackled Dread and failed. But at the same time, it's like, eh. The thing that I find fascinating to me about Prodigal is that it is a story where the artist really points out that the story, like, really fails to, to help carry the story over the finish line. But... What I'm shocked with with it is here's a story where Rico and Giant, quote unquote, team up. And I think the thing that bothers me about it is it points to kind of a weird weakness in Rennie that I hadn't really noticed. Um, he seems to have a pretty good grasp on doing on writing dread dread as a character in Wagner's stories and like you said he seems to have more of an interest in dread the interior life of dread that comes closer to what Wagner has done but he really has and I feel like this is the second time he's used Rico in a story although I could be forgetting and it may have been someone else where Rico doesn't read right and giant is always tough because as a character goes I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not really sure if there's anything there to him other than who, kind of who he is, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the idea that Rennie's like, I'm going to put these two guys together, and he has a germ of a story, which is essentially, here are two guys who, to whom Dread is a father figure, and more or less how that that would put them on the verge of being in conflict with with one another. Um, Which to me is a, it's weirdly enough. I'm like, I should be an easy mark for that story because that is such a, that is such a DC teen Titans story. You know what I mean? In a way. Um, And yet the weird thing about it is, is I'm like, yeah, but that's not, that's not that character. Like, or rather if it is that character, if that is what's going on with Rico, if, or even someone like giant, like it feels to me like giant is the guy who's the son of an entirely different hero. You know what I mean? Like if you know, and so therefore his issues of how he may or may not be threatened by Rico. Cause at one point he's like, it was, you know, he'd always felt that he was being, um, groomed to be dread's replacement and now suddenly he feels like he's being superseded by rico it's kind of a big narrative jump but i I guess what i'm saying is all the drama that for a story that is supposed to be a quiet story about characters emotions like it those emotions can't just seem to come out of nowhere and seem to be based on at best, a slipshod reading of the characters in the material. You know what I mean? And so, weirdly, I feel like Rennie is, has a good grip, grasp on Dread, and is actually a little bit better at the Dread state, the, the Wagner staple of dropping Dread into the movie of the week than he is on the part that he seems to really, I don't know if he really wants to do or the editors really want him to do, which is more of the interior style dread stuff, taking the narrative threads that, that Wagner for the most part has been doing all the heavy lifting on, you know, to kind of take some of that stuff and carry it forward the way they sort of tried and failed to have Ennis do, 
You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no. It, it's interesting because I think that Prodigal really does feel like it is the first time that Rennie is trying to take um, a recurring, I don't even know if it's a plot, a recurring theme and move it forward. Yeah. But as you said, he's, it feels like it's based on a faulty premise. Mm-hmm. It feels as if he's created this, he has a good core idea. Mm-hmm. What happens when Rico and Giant meet? Right. Because they both have very different relationships with Dread, but both of them are particularly close with Dreads in a way that, that few others are. Right. Right. And then it feels like he doesn't quite know what to do with it. Absolutely. And it also feels like yeah. he doesn't necessarily, um, there's no reason for it to happen other than it is the idea of like, oh, these two guys, if they meet, something will happen. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's the problem because that's what the story reads like. The story reads like it, the, their meeting alone is is enough. Well, the fact that the, them are saying hello is enough. Right. And, it's and maybe that, that is why it feels things, Teen Titans-y to me. One of yeah. the things about Giant mm-hmm. is that Giant is the character who's... this Again, this, this may be me pointing out my misreading of the characters. Mm-hmm. But Giant has the... Um, the insularity of Dread that mm-hmm. Rico doesn't. Mm. Rico, we talked about last time, is Dread if Dread hadn't had the emotional trauma of shooting his brother. Right. And so Rico has the ability to form social relationships. Right. And Rico sees the value of social relationships. Exactly. And I don't think Giant does. I think mm. Giant, through what he's gone through, has the I'm going to keep everything inside element mm-hmm. of Dread. Mm-hmm. And so they both respect Dread and they both love Dread in their ways, but they've both taken very different lessons from Dread. Right. And it, right. It's, it's like it feels like a missed opportunity to have that contrast. Yeah. Not sure. Well, you and know? I think. Instead, it, it feels like it's. It feels oddly like an Ennis era Dread story. Yes. In that, again, Dread isn't in it, but it feels like it's two characters being like, we're badasses. But you know who the ultimate badass is? Judge Dredd, and totally. you must be okay because Judge Dredd likes you from both right. of them. Yeah, right. You know, it, it, you know, all, it, it, you know, it even ends with you know, by Wonder Dredd Junior, but something else, something more important, a brother judge. At yeah. the end of the day, that's all that matters, and that's just right. That does feel like something from the Ennis era. You know, it yeah. feels glib. It feels honestly sort of empty. Yeah, right. Glib and empty because it's unearned. And again, it's not, how do I put it? Like, that's like neither of those guys were necessarily defining themselves as that, I guess. And so, yeah, it's it's just, it's just well, a mess. Yeah. Not only are neither guys defining themselves as that, both of those characters, as we have seen them before, wouldn't give a shit what other people were saying about them. Exactly. And this is the thing, like, who wrote, in the previous volume, who wrote that story that just felt so tone deaf, where it's, you know, where Rico's like, I know what they all say about me in the that was, corner that of their was, eyes. That was again, wasn't right? it? Right, exactly. And it's a huge misunderstanding of of how Rico has been developed. That's, and that's the thing that drives me nuts about, about this story is, is like, there's not that many Rico appearances. You can read up on the character. Wagner's doing something very different, sort of in that weird way that uh, it, it reminds me on weirdly of Pat Mills, where like part of 
Pat Mills's thing with when he comes on Dread, not as much in this particular story, but in previous versions, has always been very much this like, like Dread should be a Marvel Comics character, and so he should always have a certain amount of the Marvel Comics character angst, and and it never feels right for Dread. And the thing that is really interesting and funny about that's good in a good way about Rico is Wagner hasn't put any of that on Rico. And, and so for, for basically for uh Rennie to come in and be like, Rico, he's trying to measure up to dread and blah, blah, blah. And so is giant. And they're, I'm like, no, they're not like, really like, dude, there's not that many appearances. Have you read them? And so it just really feels like this. It feel it's just, it just misses the mark. It, it's such an extreme way that again, in a way, I think the best thing Rennie has going for him is the art is so terrible that you can just be like, oh yeah, well, let's face it. That, you know, no matter what happened, that was going to yeah, suck. This was a misfire no matter what. Exactly. But, but there's some really strange fundamental inflexibilities there that that I and how do I put it? It took me a long time of um, reading comics and reading about comics, particularly in the the big two, before you start realizing how much at the big two like writers do shit that you're like what in the name of God were you thinking? And you find out more or less later, if you're lucky that there, you know, that it's essentially, it was an editorial mandated thing, or they were going one way and the editors cut them off at the knees and then they had to go a different way. So maybe it's possible that there are, you know, dreads editors are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wagner can do whatever he wants. And, and we're absolutely going to give lip service to that, but we really need to like the drama, which makes sense. It's an easy hook of like, here's the guy who is being groomed to be the next dread. And how do you live up to that? And what happens when you put him up to the guy who was basically being considered like the second best well-known judge on the force apart from dread, what happens when they meet? And, and one, again, this is one of those things where I feel like if anyone makes a pie chart of the Drock, of any given Drock episode, there's a huge chunk of the pie that is just, you know, Jeff, like um on his knees offering obeisance to john wagner is how wagner avoids the traditional easiest dramatic hooks and still finds and still manages to make interesting stories like yeah 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 a uh, lot of people go, miss that he yeah. doesn't go for the low-hanging fruit but he always finds a story yeah exactly you know exactly and it, it's telling that you know, I, this sounds ridiculous, but go with me here. Rico feels particularly a Wagner character. Yes. Uh, and honestly, Giant feels particularly a Wagner character. Other mm -hmm. writers have come in and written Dread at this point, and they generally have left those characters alone. I mean, Rico's yep. relatively new, so hasn't that that? But, like, Giant's right. been around since Necropolis, right? right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's telling that Wagner hasn't written the story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? Wagner didn't think this story was worth telling, so you know, it's it's kind of a shame that that Rennie did, 
sounds right. like a strange thing to say, but that's kind of my approach to it. You know, yeah. the, the story didn't really need to be told. Right. There, there isn't there isn't enough of a story here. Well, you know, it's it, it, it is interesting. I feel hmm, it would make it would make sense outside the. It's. I think. I think you're. What you're highlighting is something that's very crucial about how Wagner writes dread stories. Is Wagner has built up a relatively, um, you know, there's there is a bunch of secondary characters, kind of a deepish bench. There's like, not that I'm even paying attention, and I could probably come up with at least five names right off the top of my head. When those characters come into stories, however, it is, they are them. It's like they bring flavoring to the story, but it's very rare that you have, even if the story is about them, it's not really about, quote unquote, them. Like, I can see where someone's like, hey, let's do a story about what it's like for someone close to Dread to interact with Rico. And what does that say? And I think that I think that for Wagner, the the point is so obvious, like unless there was something that he was going to whip up that was going to take it in a weird direction. I don't think that that necessarily matters to him. You know what I mean? Like Hershey has been a character in dread for decades now and is still like has has no genuine interior life at this point apart from everything that she says in her action interactions with dread are you take it more or less at face value and mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. fine. It serves whatever story that Wagner is trying to tell. Um, and interestingly enough, like, unless you are talking about old, what's her name from the pit, you know, there's not necessarily a ton of characters that Wagner is going to tell stories about. Um, how do I put it? That really are about them unless they're kind of, again, adding shading to a dread story. I, 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 I both agree and disagree because I think that Wagner tells... I think Wagner does tell stories about other characters that aren't that do offer uh, commentary or lights on dread. Mm-hmm. But I do. I also think that Wagner tells stories about other characters. I think what happens is with when it comes to the judges, mm-hmm. the judges have so little interior life right. that they, you know they get a plot. Right. You know, uh, I can't remember the name of the judge that was in the the hinterland story. You know, she starts as being, you know, for one of a better way of putting it, like a pacifist or, or a, right. you know, an office judge. Right. Who She's a desk clerk her, who's sort of lost right? her nerve. Yeah. Or, right. or giant sort of grows into the role of judge. He has a chip in his shoulder as a rookie. Right. And, he, you know, his arc is that he be cut, like through Dread specifically, uh, right. his example, he finds the way that he wants to be a judge. Right, Hershey. Hershey's a really interesting case because I think Hershey is. You could argue that Hershey's arc is all in the Judge Child, or the mm-hmm. predominantly in Judge Child, and then plays out years later, mm-hmm. which is Judge Child. 
Hershey sees how Dread treats Lopez. Mm-hmm. And that teaches her that, like, devotion to the law is everything. Mm-hmm. Right? There is nothing else beyond devotion to the law. Mm-hmm. And so she becomes this incredibly cold, like, purposefully so, right. unfeeling judge. That, you know, you can then, you know, fast forward to stories that aren't, you know, aren't even going to happen when we're, when we're doing the case files. But yeah. when she's in, when she is the chief judge, like how that plays out. Or in the right. Hershey series running in 2018 now, like how that plays out. But you get, like, all these judges get their story. It's just that they don't get arcs. Yeah, I guess right? that's right. Or, or rather, once their arc ends... They, it's it. Yeah, it's over. And they're more or less kind of that's who they essentially are. Like once Giant goes through his arc and becomes Giant, then he's kind of there as he is. By the time that DeMarco gets to the point where she leaves the force, like she is, she's her. But she's again, yeah. yeah, she's done. And I think there is something that Wagner does. And that's for better or for worse, it's not necessarily it's not it's not a terrible idea. But I think in that no, sense, but 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 yeah. it is it is something so that like when those stories are done, they're done, right? Right. So yes. Wagner does tell stories with the other characters and with the other judges, but they're 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 not continuing in the same way that Dreads is. Right. Like I think Rico is Rico is basically the closest thing he gets to another Dread, intentionally yeah. or otherwise. Right. In that Rico story does grow, and to an extent, Vienna maybe. Right. I mean, she's not a judge, but like, I'm trying to think about characters who who get arcs. Well, right? I mean, weirdly enough, as long as we're talking, one could say the character with the biggest arc at this point that still sort of quote unquote is ongoing would be Walter. You know, Walter the Wobot. Oh, I, I would I would argue. I think there's there's someone else entirely who's in this volume, which is Peachy, maybe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, PJ maybe is is very interesting in this. So Graham, yes, maybe we should because we've got we've got some time to talk. Like we've been talking yeah, for yeah. an okay, hour so, and we haven't even yeah, really, yeah. So so we've talked about the stories that didn't work, right? Right. We which is almost all the ones that aren't written by John Wagner, and obviously yeah. some of them are written by John Wagner. Yeah, absolutely. but there are there are at least two or three Wagner stories in here that I really did like. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I want to, I want to sort of honestly check with you as to how you felt. Mm-hmm. Um, terror is, I think a great story. I think yeah. it's a flawed story. I think it's, it isn't as successful as, as it should be. I think it's over long, but I think it's, I think it has a lot of amazing stuff in there. Oh yeah. Uh, um, and is mm-hmm. arguably the strongest story in this book. Um, I yes, I I think I'm oh, actually going to say I yeah. think I think six is really good as well, which is the PG maybe story, right? Yeah, six is I. So I think I think that um, there's parts of terror that to me are fucking excellent, and and in a way remind me a lot of Wagner's America. Um, yes. Which yeah. did McNeil do the art on that too, or no? McNeil did the art on that as well, and also I think it's intentional. Like there's specific callbacks. Yeah. In Terror to America, you know, it, it's it, Terror is not traditionally referred to as a sequel to America, mm-hmm. but it is. Right. right? Yeah. Not only because 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 McNeil draws it, but because like art, it doesn't. Uh, 
Bennett Beanie's kind of, name gets dropped. Yes. In, yeah, a lot. Exactly. Mm-hmm. A lot because of Bennett Beanie Block, which is what I was going to say. Yeah. You know, the main character, the main character in Zuri lives in Bennett Beanie, Beanie Block. But mm-hmm. also, the plot is a mirror of, of America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's about what happens when an unsuspecting citizen becomes wrapped up in the pro-democracy movement. Right. And and what happens to them, what happens to the person they become connected to, the person yeah. they have the relationship with, and how the judges treat them. And and so, you know, to that extent, it is America again. It's, it's, it's the flip side of America. Right. And the weird part is, how do I put it? For me, because, of course, America had been built up as this thing. And, of course, America, to me, starts with such a bang and then it just ends with such a, such a flippity-jibbit for me. But terror, there's something that's interesting. Terror, in, in that sense, as a follow-up to America, has some scenes in it that are just very uh, hard-hitting and also is... To the extent that there is, that I have problems with it, I think they're they're kind of nitpicky things, but I also feel like they sort of undermine the story. Um, and I think the hardest one about it is, and I could be wrong, terror has such the, this is about Ireland subtext to it. You know what I mean? Like... There's a lot of, well, part of it is there's bombings. It's heavy on the it's heavy on the bombings. There's a point mm-hmm. where the terrorist group is talking about having Antarctica captured some of their crew and like being unwilling to trade or something. There was just there was just a degree of which to which it felt like what to be generous Wagner was trying to think of as a follow-up to America what terrorism would look like and and perhaps unsurprisingly had was using Ireland uh as the template for it and I and and for whatever reason I thought didn't didn't, weirdly didn't end up working quite right for that for some of those reasons, but still was pretty great. I'm an idiot. I didn't yeah. see the Ireland um, parallels. Mm. You're entirely right. They're there. I just, I, that wasn't in my mind when I was reading. Um, mm. There's a page in terror, which I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I want to know if I'm projecting too much on it. Okay. You get why uh, you get Wagner slash dreads talking about the three types of terrors. Yes. Mm hmm. You have the psychos. It goes, first you have your psychos. They'd be dangerous wherever they turn up. Terror is merely incidental. Then there's your morons. Dupes, easily led and totally expendable. Fodder. Finally, your true believers. Without the true believers, the other two are nothing. The true believers are the engine house and their fuel is hate. They hate something so much they justify any act, any atrocity to bring it down. He's describing the judges, isn't he? Oh, interesting. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Because look, look at that page. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Look you're at right. The layout of it. The true believer pose is the judge's pose. Is the judge's pose right below it? Yeah, absolutely. And in and in throughout terror, you see the different groups inside the judges mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Right, because you get the scene later where, when the judges have 
you know, amazingly kidnapped the terrorist and put a camera in his head. Oh, that's genius, yeah. But you get the judges basically treating it as a soap opera. The ones monitoring it are basically treating it as a soap opera. Mm-hmm. And Dredd basically abrades them and is like, you've forgotten what this is about. Because Dredd's a true believer. Right. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So you have mm-hmm. your morons and your true believers actually having the conversation there. Yeah. So I don't think Wagner fully closes the loop. But I feel that terror is very much a story where he's saying that the terrorists are also the judges and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That they are exactly the same. Right. And that they have the same fragmented um, groups within their larger organizations. Mm. Uh, because you do, you see that the, the judges, like, again, they kidnap people and stick cameras in their head. So good. You know that was like, so horrifying like, and so brutal and so perfectly done. Yeah. But but you you see that they are they're not the good guys. Like it's mm-hmm. a strange thing when you see a story like this because again, you have a group who's blowing people up. Right. Right? And the judges almost by proxy become the good guys. Mm-hmm. Eh? Because these other people are murdering innocent people. Mm-hmm. To prove mm-hmm. a point. Okay, so the, the, the baseline reading of that is, well, there's murderers and there's people who are trying to stop the murderers. They, by default, become the good guys. And Wagner, I think, takes pains in the story to be like, no, they're fucking not. Oh, very much so, yeah. Like, like they're not the good guys. They're, yeah. they're not doing the right thing. Right. They're engaged. Like, it's no coincidence that the terrorist group's called Total War mm-hmm. because of the war. <laughs> Right, right. It, it, like, the, it, this is literally war. There, where both sides are as morally culpable as the other, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, Wagner takes pains, as he did in America, to basically say anyone who gets caught up in this is going to die. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. any of the bystanders are just collateral damage, and if they're not, it's luck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're not a soldier in one of these two armies, it's luck that you'd not be killed. Mm-hmm. Because Whoa. neither neither side cares about you. Neither side, like yes. both sides are fighting for you. Neither side gives a shit about you. Right. right. Neither side. Well, no. Right. You safe. Yeah, because I think I think that that is the and and again in that weird like it's mostly right there, but needs a little bit of twisting. Like the the point is like. It, would, it might even help thematically if it came to this, but the yeah, the true believers, they're they really they don't they genuinely don't believe, you know what I mean, in what they say they care about because what they say they care about, which is the lives of innocents, they're both more than willing to sacrifice to take out the other person. Like they say, their fuel is hate. But it's also their focus. Their yeah. yeah. The, like, they believe in their cause, but their cause is an abstract concept. Well, yeah. And the really, the real thing is the hatred that they feel for the other side mm-hmm. and the extent to which they will do anything for the most part to, um, to ultimately to, yeah, if they, if it, if it means achieving their goals, you know, it goes beyond the political spectrum right down to like, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, 
terror is hard because there is a lot that is despite the way that Wagner is like, yeah, but both sides, it's really not. You know what I mean? Like there is a lot of when the chips are down, Dread is busting his ass trying to save the innocent that's caught in the middle. And the flip side is, of course, the terrorists are more or are less literally tried to kill them. Exactly. <laughs> for the for the most abstract of points ever. So it's, you know, it's flimsy. It's it's flimsy, you know, supervillain crap. And and it just and it reads like it. And I do think that that there are those points where um, un, unlike America. And I think that this is the part that to me is uh, telling and important is like the 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 lovers caught up in the middle of it one of whom is is a teacher of political um science and more or less is interrogated by the judges and says i have no love for you guys but i wouldn't do anything like this because murdering people is wrong and there is in fact a yeah, scene yeah. where she more or less gets celebrated by her class for, for by her students. Being, yeah, yeah. Yeah. By her yeah. students. And she's like, you idiots. Haven't I told you, taught you anything? These are like the super, like there is, there is way more cool action sequences happening with some awesome coloring work to, and, and just some, just some like award winning, like should be taught in schools pacing choices that that give some of the urgent scenes just this incredible urgency but weirdly i feel wagner kind of apart from the like you said like oh it's you know like anyone who who gets caught in this machinery is fucked and if you don't get caught in it well, it's but, basically but, just dumb luck um but that's that's why i'm saying like he doesn't close the loop because I feel like he, I feel like it's he almost gets there to mm -hmm. say both sides are the same, right? Mm -hmm. And he just, and I don't know if he doesn't because he doesn't want to, or if he pulls back. Do you know what I mean? Like, because right. I, because again, that page where he's listing the three types of terrorists, mm -hmm. it's not subtle in making it clear that he's also talking about the judges, right? The right, fact no. that. Mm -hmm. McNeil poses the true believer in yeah. the pose of the judge directly underneath him. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's right there. Yeah. No, absolutely. But, he, but he then, like you said, he, he doesn't, like he has, he has dread be the hero, mm -hmm. you know? And it's, it, I mean, is that the problem? Is the problem that, that Wagner keeps on, Basically, like, he can't close the circle because he wants Dredd to be the hero? I, I mean, I, I honestly don't know. I'm tempted to say, no, that's not it, because, because it could, it, because I feel like Wagner has, in the past, certainly had no problem painting Dredd as 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 being you know 
more than a little bit of a bastard to the point of being the villain or almost the villain. And I think in this story, one of the things that's kind of weird and shocking about it, because the other thing is, is that terror appears in 2000 AD. It doesn't appear in magazine. Yeah, yeah, and so, yeah. so to me, it feels there's something that feels also very different about that. Whereas America was kind of, oh, this is sort of grown up dread. Like the yeah, fact yeah, yeah, that yeah, terror yeah. is in 2000 AD. Um, Grant is like, yeah, this. I'm sorry, Wagner is like, yeah, this, this, like, this is dread. This is dread now. This is mainstream dread, and yet it's it's a very um, it's a weird, it's a weirder, harder take from dr- the dread that Wagner has portrayed um, up until this point. You know what I mean? Like he's got he's he's gone through a period of telling stuff with dread. There's stuff that dread says and does here that I'm like, eh, maybe kind of, eh, sort of. I just think that I think weirdly it just has to me one of those feelings that Wagner's like, how do I put it? Like Wagner is interested in talking about the machinery, I guess, of essentially, like you said, terrorists and the law, the true believers are the same, you know, opposite sides of the same coin. But, and And I think he has a little bit of the, like, I don't think he really moves much beyond the, yes, and fanatics are bad. And so Wagner being Wagner, I think he's like, there are some fanatics that are worse than others. Um, And so I think he, that might be part of why he doesn't close that loop. But part of me also feels like Wagner, again, to me, Wagner's great strength is, is that Wagner really to me is just such a consummate craftsman but i think the flip side of that is is that i think wagner only is willing to go so far in terms of how he thinks politically about this stuff you know what i mean like and i think and i think there's a case to be made that the whole reason why dread is who he is, why this strip is who, you know, what the strip is at this point is, is that, is that it's been handled by a writer who, um, is so, um, suspicious of fanaticism that he's like, well, I wouldn't go that far. You know what I mean? And so there's a little bit of the, like, you get the, oh, Dredd's a hero. He's the best. And Wagner's like, ah, I wouldn't go that far. And then there's like, oh, there's Dredd. He's a total bastard. He's the, he's like the, the, everything that's wrong with culture. And he's like, ah, I wouldn't go that far either. You know what I mean? Like, I think there is something where Wagner's, ambivalence to quote-unquote going too far it weirdly somehow is part of the paradox that kind of allows him to be like yes and that's why i've told like an absolutely ridiculous strip about you know i don't know my musical number or my story about farts invading space but also when he tells a story that are about 
lovers being caught in an impossible society what he's interested in is the like how do i make this a tense thriller like you know like how do i make it a scene where like you know the three characters are being pulled in different directions and you're like oh shit is dread going to get to smith's you know apartment before the killers do is you know dingle puss gonna like get out of the van is he what's going to happen to all of these characters as the thing ratchets up with live bombs and explosions and stuff. But how do I put it? Like, to me, it's kind of... Graham, you know me. I have no shortage of um, personal... of of uh, artistic shortcomings as as a fan and aficionado. So I've never seen The Crying Game, is, is what I'm trying to say here. And it sort of feels <laughs> I, to me... I did me... not see it going there, but I'm glad it did. Oh, thank goodness. So... I kind of feel like 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 I was reading as I read Terror I'm like wow I wish I'd seen the crying game cuz it sort of has a certain je ne say like <laughs> Wagner really wanted to craft a story about lovers and terrorists and the truth and fiction and lies and and honesty and murder and make it a good gripping little thriller and you know and someone's like yes and what's it about and he's like oh it's about 60 pages you know what i mean like i feel like i feel like wagner is his his blessing and his curse is his first and foremost it's about the craft and the fact that he is saying things that are way he is unafraid to go deeper with dread than the and just about anyone else will but I think there is always that point where he's like, yeah, but Chopper's not going to get shot in the back. You know what I mean? You know, and mm-hmm. so I I think, among other things, that weirdly, that that actually manages to give Wagner, um, Wagner stories, again, just that feeling of like, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get in a way. But I do... Um, Let's put it that way. I say I say that, but I would also be shocked if what I got was a complete political manifesto. You know what I mean? The uneasiness with Grant toward both, quote-unquote, the counterculture and, quote-unquote, mainstream culture is part of what weirdly makes him so perfect uh, a generator for, for what... what Dread goes through and what happens with Dread, whereas I think anyone else would have moved into the Dread's a fascist endgame checkmate. Okay, I'm done. Someone else come in, you know, do your do, you know, kind of like Alan Moore, like, okay, have fun telling the next Swamp Thing story. I'm out of here. And it's like, what the fuck am I supposed to do here? You like played out every move. Yeah, you'll think of something. Yeah, you know, have him fight Lex Luthor. Sorry, that's getting off topic. Um, and and. <laughs> I can't wait to see Judge Dredd versus Lex Luthor personally. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of what Six is, in a way, you know. Well, look at that segue. I, lo- <laughs> I love that. Um, I love Six. I love Six a lot. Um, yeah. It's been a while since we've seen PJ, maybe. And it, what I like about it as much as anything is I find that it's maybe one of the most straightforward PJ, maybe stories for a while. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a PJ, maybe story that manages to not get wrapped up in the. Will Dread catch PJ maybe of it? 
I feel that so many of the the latter era PG maybe series before this were very much uh, how long can he stay ahead of dreads to the point where it became repetitious, mm-hmm. and bringing PG maybe back um, in such a way that like Dread doesn't even know he's there, right? Is is kind of fun, and it's kind of fun to watch PG maybe just get away with killing people. Well, I think one of the yeah, oh, totally. And one of the first and foremost things that I think is is brilliant is, um, depending on how close a reader you are, it's not immediately apparent that it's a PJ maybe story. Like I literally had a weird like, oh man, that's a really bad editorial error. And then the second time, I'm like, oh, fuck, it's PJ Maybe, which is so great. That was such a great way to figure it out. Because there's no real big tells in it, I don't think, otherwise, for a good chunk of things. So to for me, it's like a point where you're like, because, of course, maybe by this point has part of how he's managed to outfox Dredd and think that Dredd, you know, has killed him is, you know, he's fucked off down south has given up his own heart so that they think that he's finally dead and i want to say is you know transferred himself into yet another new body or rebuilt himself another one you know um i don't know i mean i love six it's he, he got rid of his really heart good. last time was it just remember? his heart so the rest of this is like the body because of course i'm like i don't recognize i i, honestly, I honestly can't remember if he's uh right if he's put himself in someone else's body or if he's just face changed a lot because that was oh, another that's it it was the face changing exactly the end, there was a right. lot of face changing but you know the idea that he's unrecognizable unrecognizable as pj like i remembered that I right. didn't remember the heart thing until it's actually brought up in the actual story. Someone actually right. raises the fact that, that yeah. you know, didn't you get his heart? Yes. Um, but I, I, I do, there is, like I said, there's something, uh, joyful sounds incredibly dark. There's something very enjoyable about mm-hmm. PJ maybe just being the sociopath who comes back and is like, I'm back and I just, I'm just going to kill people. I'm just going right. to kill people quietly because I want revenge at the end. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm not doing it for any other reason other than I want these people dead. Mm-hmm. I'm not, like, there's not a big scheme. Right. Like, I'm going to do it quietly, but I'm going to make sure they're dead, and then I'm going to fuck my robot. The right. end. The end. No, and I think that's, I, I let's put it this way. If Gordon Rennie was writing this story, you know, you would have PJ maybe meet up with Chopper and they would more or less discuss their differences, and then you would come to the point of the story in a way that was, you know, entirely exasperating. Uh, one of the things that's great is is that that Wagner brings back P- PJ maybe, and PJ maybe really is a character who is arguably dreads Lex Luthor at this point because, like Dread, he is simultaneously just a guy and also seemingly superhuman and is as much an agent of chaos is as dread is literally an agent of law. Um, Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and I think it's, it's worth one of the things that I think is interesting about the story six is that PJ maybe comes back and he comes back to wipe out, uh, 
six individuals or five individuals and 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 more or less is is like taunting the judges and they're like he's playing games with us and 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 so it has a little bit of the it's dread versus the kind of serial killer that you know was such a um such as again a staple of movies during that period you know it's like mm-hmm. oh can you catch the master serial killer one of the things that i think wagner has a lot of fun with is very much that idea of pj maybe unlike any sort of you know the killer oh right exactly this is what i'm thinking i'm such an idiot the the story is called six because it's it's I just realized now is Wagner riffing on the movie seven where you've got these deaths yes. that are happening to various individuals based on the seven deadly sins and who this person's supposed to be and of course by the time you get to the end of the movie that person is 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 practically nobody like it's just a sense of I remember it's kind of ironic because um, you know. Kevin Spacey, who went on to be arguably an even worse person and quite possibly a bigger killer than the character he portrays in Seven, um, you know, Spacey was like, yeah, leave leave, leave my name off the credits so it be a big surprise when I pop up and it's me. And I'm like, I like really hadn't clocked Kevin Spacey by that point. So I was yeah. kind of like... Yeah. You're like, who are you? <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. You're completely convincing and malevolent and chilling, but like, you know, until the usual suspects come out, like, you're not really a guy, guy. <laughs> and so, so it's basically a riff on um, Wagner, sort of riffing on Seven, where it's like Dread versus the unstoppable serial killer, who's got an abstract plan, um, and unlike the unlike Seven, where it's like this character is a nobody and whatever they're doing is because of this insane, grandiose seven deadly sins horseshit. Um, that's when you think about it, just all falls apart. Wagner's like, yeah, no, this is the, you know, basically like all of that is bullshit. You know, it's like this, the, the serial killer is someone who is doing this for stupid reasons based on a fucked up childhood that even they have to admit is kind of, if you think about it, faintly ludicrous. And so I do like plugging PJ maybe in there because on the one hand you're like, Oh shit, it's PJ maybe. And like you said, the, the, it take the, this story is really lacking the is dread going to catch him because for whatever reason, again, there's a certain fet accompli of like, yeah, of course they're not going to catch him. You know, I yeah, think to yeah, me like... the the bigger, more interesting slice about it is is kind of the part about PJ maybe, which is that maybe who has is at you know has beaten Judge Dredd, got away, made his escape. You see him, and his life is unbelievably squalid and small, like at a grand operatic level, you know, like he is, he has bajillions, he's got a comfortable life, but all he can really do is fuck a sex robot. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't Well, and have... obsess about his childhood. Right, and obsess about his childhood. Right, exactly. So that's the point, is, is like, like he, Pete... he theoretically has it all, and he yes. comes back 
literally to the scene of the crime. Yeah, yeah. Settle scores that no one else remembers. From when he was six years old. Like, because that's all he does is just sit there and, and yeah, exactly. All he can do is sit there and be haunted by his ghosts and then go around, like, more or less killing them off. And to the extent that he succeeds, like, huzzah. But I do, I do like how empty uh, Maybe's life is. That even as he wins, and he does, the story is all about him winning, it is. It just seems like such a series of hollow victories, apart from the fact that he is being drawn by Chris Weston, which admittedly is one of life's great triumphs, it has to be said. I, you know? I, I, you know, let's talk about this for a second. We actually haven't really talked about art in this volume a lot. We, you know, we, we talked about Davis, we talked about Ridgeway. Um, Chris Weston's art in Six is, is great. Oh, it is great. genuinely great. And uh, great in a way that... This is literally west and around the same area that he's doing the filth for DC. Oh, it looks like a crossover. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's just it. But there is an element of, and one of the things I very much love about the filth is, I find the filth really disturbing to look at. Mm -hmm. I find find the filth um, disquieting in ways that I can't fully comprehend, never mind explain. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's something disturbing about the visuals of six in the same way. Mm-hmm. Like there, there is there is something very visceral about Wesson's yeah. art of Sierra. Mm-hmm. That, that feels, you know, it sounds strange to say, but like there's something body horror-ish about Wesson's art, even when he's not drawing anything horrific. Oh yeah, like Wesson maybe sneering is like existentially disturbing to me <laughs> yes yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it, which which just which which feels perfect for this story in particular mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. because this is a story where again you know there's there's no good guys like evil wins for one right. to be melodramatic about it mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. each maybe repeatedly get gets away with murder right and and for the most Again, this sounds ridiculous, but for the most small reasons, mm-hmm. you know. And then we find out in the last page, he's still haunted by those demons. Like he yeah. gets nothing out of it. He doesn't even get closure. No, exactly, exactly. You know, like it. It there is something just very disturbing about six that that Weston really brings to life. Oh, for sure. You know. Yeah, Weston is, is the ideal artist for the strip, and and is so you know mm-hmm. Weston has very classical um, influences. I think mm-hmm. you know you you look at Weston and you can see, uh, uh, you know you can you can see the classic artists of of like fifty six and seventies, but also you can see an element of you know like a, a Brian Bolland in there as well. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and so there, there, there's, it's just, it's a beautiful strip to look at, even as at the same time, it's a really, again, viscerally disturbing strip to look at. Right. Well, one of the things that I like that I think is, is interesting is, is that, like you said, Boland, of course, is, is the one that sort of is very easy to, to conjure up in part because we're looking at Dread 
and in part because of how Weston works. One of the things that Weston does, and I think it, it is a strange, like, I'm not, I'm not, I would, I don't, I, like, I feel one of the things that Boland does is he, his, his line work is so um, clean and it gives everything a lot of boldness. And, and that really does make it feel kind of larger than life. And one of the things I like about Weston is it's, if you, if, if you imagine Brian Boland trying to draw like Jeff Darrow, you know what I mean? Like it hurts your brain. It just hurts. And I think that's something that Chris Weston does that is astonishing to me is, is that he manages to put, he knows just the right amount of too much detail to put into it that your brain doesn't reject it as like, oh, this is bad, overly cramped art. But it is claustrophobic. You are trapped on the fucking page with it. Because you're more or less your eye can't stop looking at it and it gives you too much detail and you can't stop looking and it's fucking fabulous. But like you said, it's it is it is really disturbing. And of course in, in things like the filth and in the sections here, God, how could I like watch a, a, a fat person like eat a whole bunch of mock chalk and not get the fucking reference to seven. What a, what a moron I am. Anyway, it's great, isn't it? It's such a, it was, it was a really good, good little bit of the nasty and fucking fabulous. I don't know if we should talk about, there's a lot of really great art in this volume. There's the stuff that sucks. There is, there is. As as, as bad as, Mm-hmm. As bad as the writing is in this volume, like the art in this volume is really, really strong. Yeah, there's there's some genuinely good work in here. We talked about David Roach very quickly when we were bad mouthing Alan Grant, but David yes. Roach has a lovely line. I think David mm-hmm. Roach again ha- has a classical look to his work. Very and in fact, so. you know, these days, really recently, David Roach was nominated for an Eisner this year for his Masters of British Comics art book, which I highly recommend to anyone. Who, who has any interest in, in the history of art, in the mm-hmm. history of comics art. Um, but Roach's, Roach's line is, is really, really lovely. Yeah. You know, I, I, and he shows up twice. Disraeli, we said, like Disraeli's art is is really a, fun to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, Disraeli, I think many people who read 2018 now are familiar with Disraeli because Disraeli does does a number of strips um, mm-hmm. for 2018. You know, but what's unusual is I think 2080 and Disraeli these days is mostly black and white, and mm-hmm. the, it's the color I think that Disraeli uses in the strips here is such yeah. a fucking job. You know, yeah. there's there's some really lovely work. The, the first page of Tempest Fugitive, the second panel is it, just the color on that profile. Oh, not three quarter, I should say, of, of Dredd's um, mm-hmm. face, uh, and the way that it fills in the blanks because he hasn't outlined anything mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it's, it's just it's so fucking lovely mm-hmm. um you know mcneil we, we sang the praises of mcneil when we were talking about terror but yeah. mcneil does some just lovely stuff with color lovely <sighs> lovely stuff and you know he creates a very atmospheric strip like I, what one of the things that makes terror work so well is many times many times in the strip it feels claustrophobic 
and it feels mm-hmm. incredibly tense. And that's McNeil. Mm-hmm. More, mm-hmm. more than Wagner, that's McNeil. McNeil really fucking controls that strip. Yes. Really incredibly well. Yeah. You know? I'm trying to think of who else is in here. Even Duke Maiden, like you said, Duke Maiden stuff it for the the for my money terrible Pat Mills story. Mm-hmm. I oh, think yeah. it's, it's uh, actually really nice. I wish it had been in color, but it's yeah. it's actually you know a, a, a nice looking. He's got a nice looking line. We'll so see, there's that's you it. know there mm-hmm. there yeah. really is some some really nice artwork here. We didn't talk about it. I I was going to say Simon Colby. I think Simon Colby stuff. Doesn't necessarily work. He's he's got the the story. I can't remember the name of the story. It's the story about um the person who used to be employed by the judges. Oh right, be, the the yeah. ex employee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. that is. Uh, hold on, I'm looking right at my beautiful career. Yeah, right. Yeah, no. There's some lovely stuff in there. There's also some stuff that I was like, meh. Um, it is funny to me if nothing else. This far in. Um, anyone doing a dread story really knows that like, like their bread and butter is if they can do a a good dramatic shot of dread and that shot of when dread gets the call and he's like on the rain and it's like a, an, a upward tilted shot through the lawmaster bike of him. Great. You know, like just good. Yeah, but but also I was going to say very quickly, like that's actually one of my favorite strips in the book. Mm. I really like my beautiful career because it is again uh, the judges are bastards. Yeah, sorry, you know, like it it is a fairly like aggressive. The judges don't care for you. Well, you know, it's funny because I think that on the one hand you're right, on the other, that final panel. Um, and this is a Wagner written story after me sort of complaining about how much Rennie kind of like just doesn't have anything surprising to him. It was surprising in a bad way to have Dredd stand there say, no, but we, we should, broke him we up. Have done something for him. Yes, exactly. He was one of our own. It was kind of like, wait, what? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but does, I, that, does that not feel very in fitting with where Wagner is these days? Um, yeah, I, 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 feel, so. I feel the I feel the Wagner is, and I, I I think I dislike this less than you. Again, maybe I'm projecting. I yeah. think the Wagner is very much trying to reposition Dread as having more of a moral center than the other mm-hmm. judges. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least being like a moral voice for the judges, and so it fits for me in keeping with that. But it is, you know, it used to talk about Judge Dad, mm-hmm. right? And it's right. Judge, it should judge that end. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, very much. And it's just, it's. I mean, it's not terrible. I'm like, yeah, okay. It's just, yeah, like the Judge Dad stuff tends to be. I'm like, that's just a little. It's a little too pat. It's something that I would expect yeah, yeah, you, more you, from. Yeah, you want Dreads to have either more nuance or um, keep that shit in his head. Yeah, a, a, a and, little bit. And I, I, I actually explicitly mean that. I think if that – I think if what Dreads says at the end of that strip so, – so for people who haven't read it, uh, it's someone who literally was employed to be a crash test dummy for all intents and purposes yeah. um, in the training of judges. Um, goes rogue himself because he is too beaten up 
to yeah. to be useful. The judge is then more so they fired him. And it ends with Dredd standing over his corpse saying, we broke him so he was fit for nothing else. We should have looked after him. He was one of our own. And he says that out loud. And I think if he said that as a caption, mm-hmm. you would have preferred it. Well, uh, I, so... I think, I think Dredd is allowed that level of sentiment as long mm-hmm. as he doesn't out loud. Well, no, I mean, for me, I think, how do I put it? I think that the other thing that's important is to me is, is that this is literally the same volume as as Terror, you know what I mean? And Terror is dread at the opposite of the Judge Dad stage. And I don't, I'm not, I, after having read so many thousands of pages of the character, I don't think I necessarily have a strong, like, oh, dread is this or that. Like, there's times where it's like, there's things that are when he's more aesthetically pleasing to me, but there's times where, uh, uh, or rather where my preferences are. But generally, I think at this point, it's a matter of aesthetics. I just think that that is, if we were going to get Judge Dad, I think there should have been a better, clearer sign earlier in the message, in the story, so that when that comes down to it, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, sort of like, oh, it's a Judge Dad story. But there's a little bit of it sort of in the same way that the story about the runner is, um, uh, just, it's just, it's, 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 it's weirdly clumsy for Wagner. Like, Damned Ranger, uh, by Wagner and Ridgeway, which I think is the flawed Wagner dread story that I prefer, um, and you probably would like less, um, is just kind of a huge fucking mess. And I'm 90% sure is a mess that is, is, um, a pastiche off a John Ford movie that I haven't seen. And I literally, yeah, yeah. I actually got a really similar feel. Yeah, and I went online thinking, like, tr- being like, okay, I've got to find this. And maybe it, yeah, you I've know, seen usually. This film. Exactly. And everyone's like, you idiot, it's The Searchers. How have you not seen The Searchers? Like, the grind game is one thing, but for fuck's sake, Jeff. But at the same time, there is something where I feel that who Dread is in Damned Ranger is not especially consistent even in even by the standards of wagner stories of dread stories that are not about dread damned ranger is not a dread story about dread but is really about one of the rangers in the cursed earth who yeah um, yeah yeah manages to survive a a, a brutal ambush and more or less gets to be part of the um, cleanup revenge operation that Dread is running, and it is it is in a weird way sort of a flip side of terror in that it is it is it's maybe arguably a story in which everyone are losers um, because. The mutants who have brutally killed uh, the rangers group of 
of rangers and ambush them early in the beginning for which he seeks revenge, you see more and more scenes of those characters essentially being like, we have no choice but to do this because you people are wiping us out and saying repeatedly, like, we are, all we're trying to do is fight for our freedom and for the right to be left alone. And, and clearly it's gone beyond all of that. And so Damned Ranger is kind of, again, like big deal at Drex City. One of the things I really disliked about it when I first read it is sort of how fragmented it seems. Like from page to page, you'll get a scene where people are being blown up or things are being killed, or you get an action scene in which people are being slaughtered. Um, And Wagner is not necessarily overselling it. You are not being told necessarily how to feel about it. And so I think it, at least for me, it took a little bit of the story playing out to catch on that Wagner is not trying to push you very heavily in one direction or another, but is also telling a story in which essentially dread as true believer and what he by essentially pushing the law into the realm of quote unquote the frontier where there are many laws or people are supposed to try and exist without laws um ends up destroying everything and ruining everything for everyone so i I liked what I got out of the story, but at the same time, it also seemed like a fucking mess. And it's the classic, again, in that pie, tr- pie graph of every episode of Drock, could be the moment where you come back and tell me that I'm reading too much into it. So, um... no, I, I, I don't. I, I will not do that. I, I think you're right. I, I, you're right. You're also right in saying that, like, I think you get more of that story than I do. Um, right. In part because Ridgeway's art really knocks me out of it. What I enjoy about Ridgeway's art is how much it reminds me of old Dan Deere stories from, like, decades yes. earlier. But I think that the central story, which you're right, does have, like, a John Ford feel to it and does have a... Um, you know, maybe not epic, but some, you know, it it feels larger than the Dread World. If that yeah. makes sense, it feels like mm-hmm. it feels like it's older than Dread as well. Yes, um, has a very Western feel to it. I, I, it's just that I think ultimately it's something that I felt like I had seen before, mm-hmm. but also something that I found didn't hold my attention because of that. Exactly. Like yeah, I, I, I found, it. It, I found it very easy to drift from that story. Oh, very much. And the way that they're telling, and, and not, the way helped, that Wagner tells yeah. it, yeah, mm-hmm. not helped by the fact that Wagner is telling it in the the. I mean, it's not non-linear, but it reads non-linearly. It does absolutely. Uh, yep. I, uh, but also, it feels like Wagner himself is disinterested in it at times. Yeah. Which yeah. I think makes it very easy to be like, yeah, well, I, I've checked out. Yeah, no, exactly. And and what I think is, I think Wagner is trying for not disinterested, but dispassionate. And, yes. and, and, but unfortunately there's, and maybe with a different artist doing a different art style. I don't think so, though. It very much felt like the, both the dispassion 
and the um the distance from it are deliberate and so i don't i think it's really hard to come up with a way to do that and also be like oh here let me keep you engaged and i think the closest he yeah. can be is like here's this non-dreads characters you know quest for revenge and yet it really does pull even further back from it so yeah no again mm -hmm. it was very much the story where it like the flip side of big deal in drake drek city where the first three quarters of it i'm like i am not feeling this and by the end i'm like oh okay i'm not sure it was worth the investment but it's it comes closer to me than some of the other um near failures in this volume which again or, yeah whereas for for me like drag city epic deal and drag city is, is far better like work mm -hmm. works far more successfully as a strip but even that as we were saying before fails you know i think when yeah. you look at what actually works here and again last volume wagner felt on fire wagner felt unstoppable yeah and here i think there's you know maybe only two or three stories where i think wagner gets it right yeah you know terror is great um, yes. Six is really good. And again, Six might only have that power because of Weston. I'm really mm -hmm. curious what, what it would be like if it wasn't as, honestly, creepy to read. Right. Um, My Beautiful Career works, and I think that's it for me in terms of like where Wagner really hits in this volume. What did you think of Turkey Shoot? Because, you know, Turkey Shoot is Wagner with two people that you like a lot on art, Cam Kennedy and Henry Flint. Um, I'll be honest, it. I didn't see Cam Kennedy in that. Like, I know that Cam Kennedy is inked by Flint, but Flint also pencils some of it, and mm. I just don't see Kennedy in it. I gotta be honest. Um, it's fine. It's like a, a silly Christmas story. Right. A dark you know, Christmas like it, story. Yeah, but, but like, uh, I feel that the uh, last volume had um, the Christmas story in 2018. Mm -hmm. And I much preferred that. You're right. Right. I get it. Okay. You know, I, I, I felt just, that was yeah. that. I felt that was far more stronger and far more focused. I felt mm -hmm. the turkey shoot felt felt like a contractual obligation. That's <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I um, are you I, like? I, do you disagree? No, I don't. I don't. Re I don't really have strong feelings about it. I feel like like it was by and large a story that for whatever reason I seem to like and dislike in equal measure, you know, like I was just like, I, I was just curious if there was a, in theory, because it was the one thing we had mentioned. And if nothing else, it's got two artists or even just one artist. that Two, we two, two artists I, I love. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So make um, a point to call I, I, out. I, I yeah. think the art, I think the art is fine. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um yeah it, it's it 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 doesn't work and I don't quite know why it doesn't work but it doesn't work for me. Right. It, you know I, you know I agree with you and I also think and I don't remember we mentioned how Wagner was on fire on the previous volume but I think we might have also had some caveats of he was writing a little longer than we were used to I guess you know what I mean and I really feel to the extent this volume is kind of a big mess. Even like you said with Wagner, I feel like there, there are near failures here 
which doesn't help that once you get to the non-Wagner material, it's a lot of failures left and right. Um, but I, I just kind of, there's a lot of it, like, you know, the, the Drek City one just feels too fucking long. Like, you know, I don't, and I think the Damned Ranger story also feels probably too fucking Dam, long. Dam, Dam, yes, Damned Rangers yeah. feels incredibly long for what it manages to do. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. and you know I I I think I can see the argument for for Drag City, um, right? Drag City. One of the things that's easier for me with the 2018 material is I feel like the rhythm of it works better for me. I feel like yeah, you, there, get there's it. A, a sense of like, oh no, I like I know where we are in the story. I know where we are in the in the um, in the episodic nature of the story. Absolutely. You know, you get six page chunks, and you can feel it go. Okay, here's the start of the chapter. Here's right. you know here's this, the middle. Here's where we're we're leading up the cliffhanger, and yeah. so Drek City works for me on that level because you do every six pages get the and then this, yeah, um, and and you know the damned ranger by dint of being a yeah. magazine story and having right. a longer page limit. Like I think it's just two issues of the magazine. Sorry, it's three no. pages. It's three pages of the three issues. Yeah, so uh, it's big. But, it's, but it's you know. But you feel that length. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's mm-hmm. it's you feel that each chapter's ten pages because for want of a better way of putting it, each chapter doesn't need to be ten pages. No, very much so. Very much so. Jeff. Yes. We're almost two hours in, so let's let's start wrapping this up. Agreed. Uh Drock or Dross? Because I think I'm gonna say Dross. Hmm. It's a really tough call. Cause honestly, if it wasn't for terror, I would say Dross, but but it's but it's tough. I think I'm actually going to go with Drock because I think I overall did like the volume more than you did. Part of that, of course, is Blood of Satanus too worked for me. I, I liked it, and and a lot of the other things. Again, as we mentioned, thanks to people like David Roach, uh, you know, and a lot of the other artists, there was stuff that I liked even when I didn't yeah. like it. You there's know? there's a lot there. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Yes. It's just that overall, I think I. But this way, I felt like I struggled through this volume in a way that I don't think I've struggled through a volume since Annis was writing. Yeah, I I think that is very close to true, except for weirdly enough, once I hit about the once we switched the to the magazine mark. mark, yeah, then it worked. So. Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, you know what? Yeah, I think that's fair. Let's both go with Dross on this one. I think that's fair. I think this is a very painful volume to read and definitely not a... It it would be the sort of thing that you would definitely earmark with the for completists only tag. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. With that in mind, favorite story, Terror? Um, Yes, I would say terror and followed by the the followed by six i mean it's really i, I might i might flip that right i think i might go six followed by terror yeah i uh, have favorite non-wagner story that's a tough one in this book it really is it really is give me a second i would have to say my favorite non-Wagner story is probably Master Moves. The Disraeli-Bron Rennie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's where I go as well. Least favorite story. Ooh, God, there's so many fucking ones <laughs> here. Um, ah, 
Although I should say I do like Blood of Satanus too. I just don't think I think it's I just think it's hot trash. But I mean, in terms of favorite, it might work. Worst story, man. It's so I I honestly oh, I'm I'm acting like there's honestly anything worse in the volume than it, at home with the Snozburns. That was fucking horrible. Um, that was just it, that was just Alan Grant and Gibson, whose work I am at best iffy on. Just moving into the flat out no. No, 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 no. You know? Yeah, it, it's um, I, I that's got to be the worst. Right, real. exactly. It, I it, think it's it, more it of a like... challenge to come up with what's the second worst, and I think it might be placebo once more with feeling because that is <laughs> um, is it? I don't know. I mean, honestly, maybe it's not because it's your funeral creep is the same story but worse and with worse art like say what you will about the that placebo story at least you've got john mccray having a good time like the yeah, drawings are fun say, to it, look it, at it's your funeral creep is is pretty fucking bad how to succeed in business without getting caught might be up there as well to be perfectly honest with oh, you oh interesting oh no tell lie. Bob, Bob Zombie Scouts of 20,000 Horrors. Yes. Uh, because I actually really hate the, art, the, the airbrushed art in that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That one, that one is, is, um, is, yeah, is just crap top to bottom, I think. So, yeah, no, there's, there's so many choices as, as to what is terrible here, but yeah. Um, it's, it's really hard. Yeah, it's a really rough volume. It, it, it felt, it was pretty punishing for at least, half of it and again i I've, I've got to say i was really relieved when you were like i'm struggling to this volume because i was just a bit ahead of you oh i okay. was mm-hmm. i was maybe at like my beautiful career Ooh. or maybe prodigal i'd maybe just finished prodigal right um and i i also was like Poof. yeah exactly <laughs> this book yeah yeah no it's uh, true um yeah, really rough. And in fact, I, I can see where it's hard for you because you liked my beautiful career way more than I did. But I also like Blood of Satanus too. But like Turkey Shoot, which I think neither of us really liked, by the time you get to Prodigal, you're just like, uh. And I don't read. It's weird because part of me is like, yeah, if it wasn't for six, honestly, there's a case to be made that the second half is 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 just lined with failures almost as thoroughly as the first half as well. So it's, yeah, it's not a good volume. Um, you have two books, you have two, sorry, you have two stories, I should say, that that work, right, mm-hmm. in the entire book. Mm-hmm. And the rest are various levels of failure. Exactly, exactly, absolutely. At least with some of Wagner's other stuff, I think there's there's points where I feel like at least it's an interesting failure or an ambitious sure, yeah. failure. Yeah. And, and there, but there is, there is such a high page count of how the fuck did this get published? That it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's notable. It's very notable. Um, and kind of strange considering it is the penultimate volume in the case files, I guess, for us that we're going to be discussing. It is, it's so strange that we are so close mm-hmm. to quote, quote, the end. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, Dread obviously continues for another 20 years after this, but like, we're very close to catching up and, and being done with, with, our, with the rereads. Yeah. And 
this is surprisingly bad. Right? Yeah. Um, for being so far. Yeah, I agree. Although, weirdly, not nearly as um, faith-shaking, I guess, as, you know, again, just it's going to, you really got to do, go a long ways before you get to me as robustly shitty as the Ennis years. And again, I think some of that is, you know, not just to be laid on Ennis's feet, but between an, it probably because the British industry was so in such dire straits compared to, what DC and Vertigo were offering, like there was a real um, generation gap in the artists. And at least here, I'm kind of like, okay, you know, like there's misses, there's flat out failures, but at least there is more often than not, like the art is good. And if you can get somebody to write something that's decent, you know, you can get a good you can get a good dread story. It doesn't just feel like oh shit they've lost the plot. No, literally nobody knows how to make dread work apart from John Wagner. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's just I, maybe I'm just feeling um, like we we had it under fucking control last time. You know, <laughs> and I was like, no, how are we getting? How are we off again? Yeah, right. No, but it is there. There is the sense of just. Uh, we are we are not doing a case, the last case files next week. That's uh, right. Next month, I should say. We are doing the restricted files volume four, right? Which is the last of the restricted files, so it is an ending of sorts. And then after that, we are doing the final of the case files, and then we've caught up. Wow! Um, it's 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 the end of an era, Jeff. It's a it, weird one. It really? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, restricted files, not volume four. I'm just going to warn everyone: is a weird fucking book. Mm-hmm. We thought this one was weird. The Restrict File Volume 4 is so much fucking weirder. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. I, I, I have to say that um, apart from, I don't know, maybe it was the second volume of Restricted Case Files or whatever, they've always just been kind of, you know, odds and ends. I never I never have my, um, I, I never have my hopes up, I guess. Yeah, well... <laughs> You're like, good, good news, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, well, well, that's good, because um, should Right. Uh, yeah, that's in a month. In a month, we are going to be doing uh, Restricted Files Volume 4. Uh, in the meantime, the show notes for this will be up on... Wait, what podcast? Uh, on Monday, at some point. Again, probably trending towards the end of the day. I'm sorry, the day job takes priority. Uh, otherwise, you can check us out on Twitter at Wait What Podcasts. Jeff is on Twitter at Lazy Bassett at L A Z Y B A S D I D, and I am on Twitter at Graham M at G R A E M E M. We are a Patreon supporter podcast. This entire thing exists because of Patreon, and Jeff is about to tell you why right now. Yeah. Hey everyone. Um, as you know, we are so grateful to all of our listeners for. Um, everything that you have uh, given back to us, apart from just your hard-earned time and, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of your listening range, depending on how much you crank up your podcasts. I don't know. Um, and as Graham alluded to and slash more or less give away, we're 
super grateful to the subset of our listeners that are Patreon supporters and throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh. Hugely appreciated, has managed to got it, get us out of a jam or two, and also uh, helped uh, underwrite some really wonderful comic purchases, which I will uh, promise to at least unveil one of before this run of Drock is through. And speaking of Drock, uh, this is a stretch goal that we promised a million years ago and is one of the few that we've kept reliably. This and Baxter Building, our read-through of the first 416 issues of Fantastic Four, only exist because of our supporters on Patreon. I am immensely grateful to you for that because um, I'm, I'm a very different comic book book reader slash aficionado uh, than I was before this particular journey started. Um, you know, I think I think I can read Dread for fun now. I feel like I have opinions on Dread that are sort of semi-earned, at least by hours in the chair, if nothing else. And I will fucking uh, throw down for anyone who fails to realize what an absolutely brilliant comic book writer John Wagner is. So all of that really uh, is a result of you guys. So thank you for that. I want to give a special shout out to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for her ongoing support of the podcast um, and apparently for keeping things um, kosher at the co- kosher and copacetic at the cosmic level. Um, I wish I'd come up with another K sound for that, but it doesn't always work out. Graham? Uh, all I can say is mission accomplished, everyone. We've convinced Jeff that John Wagner is fucking great. Uh, is. We are back. We are back in a week. I've, I've <laughs> genuinely lost track of time. We're back in a week with a regular rate what? I That's actually right. had to look at the calendar for real. Yeah. Uh, until then, uh, this is Drock, so Jeff sings that. Yeah. It is the time where I put on my super melodic, mellifluous voice, you know, some gentle music, and say, hey, listener, Drock! You're under arrest. Report to the isocubes, and we'll see you in 30.